Frederick Buechner has said in one place something that reminds me a great deal of this story and the way that it's characterized. He said about coincidences, I, I think of a person that I haven't seen or thought of for years. They come to my mind and then ten minutes later I see her crossing the street. Where I turn on a radio and I hear... A radio is like a thing in your car. Sorry. Some of you are young. I turn on an 8-track player and I hear a voice reading the biblical story of Jael. That's in the Bible, I promise. Which is the story that I've spent the morning writing about. A car passes me on the road and its license tag has my initials and my wife's initials side by side. He says, when you hear people tell stories like this, their usual reaction is to laugh. And one wonders why. He says, I believe that people laugh at coincidence as a way of relegating it to the realm of the absurd and of therefore not having to take seriously the possibility that there is a lot more going on in our lives than we either know or care to know. We laugh at coincidence, he says, because we treat it as, as absurd so that we don't have to reckon with the possibility that at any given point in our lives, there's way more going on than we know or even care to know. Who can say what it is that's going on? But I suspect that part of it anyway, in these coincidences, is that every once in a while, we hear a whisper from the wings It goes something like this. You've turned up at the right place, at the right time. You're doing fine. Don't ever think you've been forgotten. Sometimes, he said, I think these coincidences are, in effect, God's way of tapping us on the shoulder and tweeting in our ear, whispering in our ear, You've not been forgotten. You're on the right path. There are things going on that you have not even considered. The book of Ruth is a book like that, in a way, kind of like the book of Esther, where you have these main characters, Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, central figures, but the hero of the story is God, but he doesn't make very many cameos, because he'll steal the show if he's too thunderous and gleamy. So he instead directs the play, and his influence is seen in all kinds of movements, in all kinds of direction, in all kinds of actions and inactions, in the spaces between people's wondering about what's happening. We're told that Ruth just decides to go out and glean, and it just so happened that. In a kind of way like Mordecai told Esther, who knows, it may be that you're in this king's court for such a time as this. It so happens that maybe you're here for a reason just like this. And you see, throughout this story, Ruth happening on the field of Boaz, who happens to be someone with 
connection and wealth and stability and ability to do something about it. And he happens to not be a jerk. He happens to be a man of integrity who happens not to have spoken with Naomi for some reason. You might assume that Naomi, when she comes back to town, she sent a friend request to Boaz. It's like, hey, how you doing? We've lost everything. She might Snapchat him and look at where we're living now. Just, just to see, would something happen? Will he? But apparently they've not connected. And yet, on this particular day, in this particular field, here comes Ruth, one little, one little widow who showed fidelity and an act of self-denying service to her mother-in-law. And it's as if God's paying attention. Because what we know is the story sort of telescopes on God's care for these two widows who seem to have lost everything. But what's happening at the minute of the particularity of his care is that he's actually in the process of changing human history and altering things in such a way that Ruth the barren, Ruth the foreigner, Ruth the someone who's got no one, becomes Ruth the grandmother of the greatest king in Israel's history. You'll have to come back the next two weeks to find out about that. Dave Wilcox has a song. Because he's a singer, you know, so he's a lot of them. But he has a song that says, back in science class, between the recess breaks, they told us that the universe just sort of fell together like a big mistake. It started with a bang. And it sent the pieces flying, and then it cooled and twirled into dinosaurs and dandelions. It was a big mistake to have eyes that see, to have love like this inside of me, and as you get about to get PG-13, to have lips that smile as I, careful, careful, Dave, lips that smile as I swim your kiss. I didn't say it, I'm just repeating it. To have minds that will forever. Every part of this. There was something in him that recognized, okay, whatever the mechanics of this creation story are, whatever the means are, there's got to be some kind of lovely, wonderful, determined intention behind what we see. He uses the words, the choreography of a coincidence. Because it seems asinine to him, it seems absurd to envision that somehow or another that someone who could be a Romeo, someone who could fall in love, someone who could sing a song and ride a bike and kick a field goal and could hold a baby, who could give birth to a baby, that this was all somehow just an accident of history. It was all somehow a tale signifying nothing told by an idiot. A sound of fury. That's Shakespeare, is that how we say it? I don't know. 
Shakespeare. Thanks. I try to be you know, fancy sometimes. But so there's this recognition when you read this story that what they're trying to help you to see, what the narrator's trying to help you to see is that God is actually choreographing all the coincidences of your life. That God is involved in these details and, and stirring in stunning ways. And we see this by the fact that she meets up with Boaz, that she meets up with a protector, she meets up with his goodness, that God has apparently noticed, paid attention to her loyalty, and is actually, when Boaz says, may the Lord reward you for what you've done, he's actually rewarding him right that second. As Boaz is saying the words, she's getting the answer to the prayer in some ways. She's getting the shelter of Boaz. Because people are always in a, in a world where God is running the show, where he is directing the play, where he is conducting the orchestra, we are the players. So Boaz is wearing, as Luther would say, the mask of God. And his kindness, his loyalty to the loyalty that Ruth has shown is God's being mediated through him. If you start to believe that God is choreographing things, like this story here, that God is in little details, that he is moving the pieces of your life, that it's not all accidental and it doesn't signify nothing, even if you don't know what it signifies. And I realize that's part of the thing. Sometimes we know God's up to stuff. We just don't know what it is he's up to. It'd be awfully nice in some of our suffering. If we were more like an Olympic athlete. And we were told if you really go through this suffering and you give yourself to it hard, then in four years you're going to win an Olympic medal and you'll get some endorsement deals and you'll be independently wealthy. Well, then you could go through some stuff. But some of the suffering we go through, some of the dismay, the confusion, the disorientation that we meet up with, we don't know what the end game is. So it makes it kind of hard. Ruth didn't know either. But here's what you can know. When you start to believe that the Lord of Israel is acting, choreographing, moving the pieces, he's the primary actor in history, and he works through us, then here's one thing you can do. You start expecting stuff. That's the first real point. That is not going to be a lot of points, just seven. You, st- you start expecting stuff. You start expecting the favor of God. When she goes out to the field, she says, let me go out to the grain to pick the leftovers from anyone in whose field I find favor. Is it brazen of her to expect that she's going to find favor? She's a widow. She's a foreigner. She's an undocumented alien. And she's expecting that someone's going to give grace to her, that she's going to get gifts from somebody. She's going to be the beneficiary of somebody's kindness. And of course, when you start hanging out with God enough, you start to realize he's very good and you can expect that too. He might not fix all your problems all at once, but he'll get you through them. You can expect him to give. You can expect him to resource. You can expect him to guide, to release, to save, to refresh, to forgive, to repair, to enable. You can expect these things of him. Just as Ruth was. There's a story that Philip Yancey says in one place or another. It's in an exact place. It's a book called Prayer. So it's just in that one place. And he tells the story about a rabbi. He's teaching his students. And he says, you know that the human encounter with God, experiences of God, you know, the kind that we kind of wish we could have. These experiences of God can never be engineered 
They can never be manipulated by us. We cannot ever make them happen. They are really like divine accidents. They're accidents of grace. We can't make them happen. And one of the students who was perceptively listening raised his hand. He said, but Rabbi, then why is it that we give ourselves to these spiritual disciplines? You know, like, why do we worship? Why do we pray? Why do we fast? Why do we interact with Scripture? If it's all an accident that we're going to meet with God, why on earth do we give ourselves to these practices? And he says, in order to make ourselves as accident-prone as possible. We're looking to make ourselves accident-prone. So we're going to expect a lot from God. We're going to hang out in the places where he hangs out. We're going to be badgerers of him, if that's a word. In prayer, I added an extra ER. Badger, we're going to badger him. In prayer, we're going to seek him in his word. We're going to withhold food from ourselves to cultivate our hunger from. We're going to worship together. We're going to confess our sins together. We're going to be in this community together and expect that the God who's working out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will is going to work in our lives because we, like Ruth, have taken shelter under his wings. Of course, that's the promise. That's what you expect. Jesus says the same thing. He says, don't worry. Pagans worry. That's their prerogative. People without God worry about the future. That's what you have to do. If if you don't have a God, you become a God. And it's a really scary thing to do because your shoulders are awfully... You don't do enough CrossFit. They're puny. They can't hold up nothing in the universe. But he says when you give, when you fast, when you pray, when you seek, all these things will be added to you as well. You will be rewarded by the God who sees what you do in secret. God is watching and he's generous and he's kind. And he says, call on me in the day of trouble and I will help you. I will deliver you and you will bring honor to me. Said the 14 year old with the cracking voice. My voice just cracked, I think. I said, me. That was like... Ed, the talking horse. Now, you can start to expect if you really believe that God is on the job choreographing and moving history. And the other thing that this can help you with in a very real way is in decisions. What? In decisions. It is my unproven estimation that about 74.5% of you have a very difficult time making decisions. Those decisions are not made more easy by the glut of information that is available to us now and the lack of authorities and the prevalence of a great deal of things to be afraid of. It's very hard to know what to do. Plus, we're Christian people, so we theoretically, at least, theoretically, want to know what God's will is. How do we decide? And one of the things you notice in this story is that people are acting, and it turns out that God's acting through their actions. But... One of the ways that he acts is far more with a rearview mirror perspective than a crystal ball one. I said crystal ball, not crystal gale with the long hair. It's more of a rearview mirror perspective with God than it is a crystal ball perspective with God. There's a proverb that says this. In his heart, a man makes his plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Ruth says, I'm going to go glean in the fields. Hope I can find some favor. And so she acts. She goes to work. And it just so happens that she landed in the right field. Was there some process whereby she was like, do I go to this field or this field or this field? 
Those guys look exactly like those guys look like those guys, and those stalks look like those stalks. Ah, which field? She picked the field. Tim Keller says, when I meet up with people so often who ask me, what is God's will for my life? What, should I marry this girl? Should I marry this guy? What career should I pick? What vocation should I do? Should I live in this city or this city, by this house, by this, you know? And he says, do you want to know what God's will is? Come close. Let me tell you sound, thick spiritual advice. You want to know what God's will is? Here's what you should do. Decide. Just decide. Decide. Then you'll know what God's will was. Decide. See, and of course, a lot of the ways that we fear about making decisions, we want the crystal ball. You, you know, when you've got a serious decision, like what kind of shoes should I get? Which sweater should I pick out? No, bigger decisions than that. But some of you get tripped up even on those. You want a crystal ball, but a lot of that crystal ball isn't so much. Is it about, I just want to please God. I just want to make sure I'm in the center of his will, whatever that is. You probably are actually wanting God to say, will you please point me on the path that leads to a Disney World existence where there's a lot of candied apples that don't make you fat and everyone's smiling and no one gets sick unless they eat too many of those candy apples. And, and it's not even in Orlando because it's, so it's not hot. Where can I go? Which decision can I make where my pain will be smaller? Where my risk will be lessened? where the dismay will be abolished. A lot of times that's the fear. And one of the greatnesses of realizing that God directs our steps while we make our plans, when we act, God is acting through us. He's moving the pieces around. He's delegating his authority through us. He's enacting his sovereignty through the actions, through the prayers, through the inaction even of, our, of us, of we, of us. It's freeing because it says, you know what? I'm going to pick. And I'm going to trust that God's there where I pick. And what's going to happen? Can you imagine Ruth? Can you imagine later on in Ruth's life when she's looking back in the rearview mirror of her life? She's watching, she's watching iMovies that they've made. And they have a really compelling soundtrack that they used with some Hebrew tunes. iMovie is a... She's looking back at this slideshow of her life, this movie of her life, and she's saying, look at how God was working when I thought we were, we were done. Look at how God, as the, as the spiritual says, made a way when there was no way. Look at how God moved me right when I was not sure if I should go left or right. And I, I went ahead and went right, and it turned out. Look at how when I made that mistake there that God reversed it. Look at how. Those of you who have been walking with the Lord a good while know that this is very often how it works. You look back and you can say, wow, look how God has worked, especially if you trust his goodness or fighting to trust his goodness. Making yourself as accident-proof as possible. Looking through the rearview mirror and trusting that in your heart you make plans, but the Lord directs your steps. And the Lord has directed Ruth's steps right into the hands of his mercy. I'm going to close with this because we get to take communion. The first service went really long because the, the speaker was so excited about Tennessee finally winning a football game that he just went on and on and on and on. I couldn't get him to shut up. It was I. 
Matt Jelly kept me up late texting. He was going out of his gourd. It's like 2 in the morning. We couldn't sleep. They won. Tennessee won a football game. This is the first time it's happened in 20 years. So, okay. We have this dog. Her name originally was Church Lady when she lived here. She's a German Shepherd and four other things. And she lived here for a while, and Charlie and Deb Tucker named her Church Lady. And we've we've kind of, you know, things shorten in life, and so we've kind of gone more with Lady at this point. Lady, as I've told you before, I think likes me best because I feed her. That is the sole reason. And one of the things I've noticed about Lady, who is so docile, and she's so, she's so, she's really a really sweet, sweet dog. So much so when the UPS man comes, I'll say, hey, I just want to tell you, don't, you know, don't, don't spray her with anything or kick her, you know, her, she's going to lick you to death. She's really kind. She'll never mess with you. You don't have to be afraid. She's that kind of dog. She's good with babies and she can, like Nana. Okay. But so, there are, there's one instance though. There's one instance that happens about, I don't know, 75% of the time where we happen to live when people, for some inexplicable reason, from morning till night are shooting firearms. I don't know why. So much shooting. A lot of shooting. She doesn't like guns. She's a liberal. <laughs> she hates the Constitution. No, she doesn't. She's just scared. She's, she's, she's nervous. She doesn't have any Prozac. She's... T- she's so, this dog, whenever people start shooting, and it really is a lot, and I, if anybody has any hints as to why this is, I don't, and please don't shoot us when we're out playing in the yard. This dog, though, will come to our front door, and I'm not a small fellow, and this dog will try to get in the front door, through the front door if she has to, with it closed. She'll stick her head in there, and I'll try to close the door on her head, not too hard and she won't budge and then we'll get like our whole family pushing each other like a major caboose and we're like like a tackling sled a blocking sled pushing her out trying she's like and she will not let herself be budged she's like you're gonna have to cut me in two with this door i'm getting in there she bull rushes and you can tell you can tell when she's following you up the drive up the front porch up the steps you can tell if she's about to bull rush or if she's feeling good. But if she's about to bull rush, I turn around, no, no. I slam that door as fast as I can, but normally you don't have a hope. She just, pow, she's going to knock you down. She does not care. And here's what I, and so one of the things that's happened now is we've just given up. It's like she's going to bull rush and like, okay, just stay in the foyer. We don't believe in dogs in the house. Well, lady has demonstrated something to me. She's demonstrated something about this idea of Ruth coming in under the shelter of the wings of the Lord of Israel. Because there's this recognition that hopefully will happen for each of you, and hopefully it's happening even now, where you realize there are times where I'm going to expect him who choreographs coincidences. I'm going to expect him who gives favor. I'm going to expect him who holds my future I'm going to expect him to do things, and sometimes I'm going to have to bull rush the door. But I am not going to go away. I'm going to hang on to him. I'm going to grab a hold of God, as Walker Percy said. 
And I'm not going to let go, like Jacob said, until he gives me a blessing. There's this sense if he's really active, if he's really the king, if he's really the one characterized by this kind of loyalty and fidelity to us, if he's really the one who calls himself the bread of heaven, who has given himself for the life of the world, who has said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him, and whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away, then you can keep bullrushing. You can keep making it your business to get to him Because when that dog gets in the house, you know what happens? She goes to sleep. Our house is like a sedative for her. The safety. I think she just knows I'm going to take care of everybody. The safety relaxes her. That's what it's like to take refuge under the wings of the God of Israel, who's shown himself in the person of Jesus, who has said, Whoever comes to me, I'll never turn away. And like Boaz, who says, nothing's going to rip you out of my hands, Ruth. No one's going to hurt you. Don't be afraid. He says, it's my father's will that I not lose one of whom he has given me. He's not going to lose you. He's going to hold on to you. So clamor after him. Expect from him. Keep running to him. Decide, trusting him to be the one who choreographs All your coincidences. Let's pray.